With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Hi, I'm Michael Lombardi, and welcome to the GM Shuffle, where we are going to take an inside look at the NFL offseason since the Super Bowl. There's so much to talk about. Rob Gronkowski retiring completely out of the blue? Not really. Odell Beckham being traded? Was that out of the blue? Not really. And then, of course, the Kyler Murray situation, where we'll see a 5'10 quarterback perhaps become the first pick overall in the draft. You know, with a little more than two weeks to go, we are now entering lying season in the NFL because everybody lies, right? And we're entering, everybody evaluate the mock draft season. So it's a little bit of like looking over the landscape of the National Football League. It's also making sure you got the right medical grades. It's character understanding, guys that you have some character questions about that you can go back and do some detail. And then it's getting that last workout on the road, those private workouts that you can take coaches to and really make them get a close examination of some of the players late in this draft. Because with one week to go in the draft, no player can visit your campus. You can only work out players on their campus or their hometowns. So it's a lot of cleanup detail that needs to go into the draft right now. And I think that's really what you do. You spend most of your time on that and try to avoid listening to and looking at all these mock drafts to confuse you. The teams that have to get it right are the teams that only use the draft as their only way of procuring talent. I mean, you can look at the Patriots draft and say, you know, they don't really draft very well. They've had a lot of misses, but they've won 74 games over the last five years. So there's more ways to skin the cat than just the draft. But I think when you're picking high, I think the one thing you've got to be able to do, I think Reggie McKenzie did that at Oakland. He was able to pick a couple really good players high in the draft that the Raiders have since traded and still have gotten great value for. So I think on those high picks, you have to really do a good job of understanding where the line of demarcation comes in. Where is the difference between what you'll pick in the second round and what you'll pick in the first round happens? And usually that'll happen around 9 or 10 in the draft. Because the guy you might pick at 40 might be just as good as the guy you pick at 11. You need to figure that out. It's draft season in the NFL. It's one of the best times. Stay with us. I am honored and privileged as my first guest on the podcast to have Peter King, who has been really inspirational in my life. He started me out as a writer, helping me get on at sportsillustrated.com, prompted me to write helped me learn about the writing process, and now he's helping me launch my very own podcast. So, Peter, welcome and thank you. Mike, I have a feeling I'm not going to need to help you too much launch a podcast because, as we both know, you can talk. Yeah, I like to talk. (laughs) Well, you know, it's after years of suffering from Al Davis and not allowing to be asked questions, you've kind of had a lot of pent up in you, you know? So you like to talk. And there's so much to talk about. I mean, that's the great thing about the National Football League, as you know. It never sleeps. Somebody was asking me this week about what I thought of the AAF folding, you know, last week, and I just said... I watched 10 minutes of the AAF. I said, because 
You know, here's the problem with, and we'll get into a hundred things, I'm sure, but here's the problem with like another league starting right after the NFL ends. First of all, I'd like to take 10 minutes off at some point after the Super Bowl. And secondly, after about 10 minutes, then you got to start thinking about the combine. And then after the combine's over, here's free agency. After free agency ends, there's the draft. So do I really want to sit there then on weekends and watch games between Birmingham and Orlando (laughs) with 50 players on the screen in front of me who I never heard of and who I'm probably never going to cover or meet in my life? It's a problem. You know, a spring league is a problem. But anyway. It's funny. You remind me when you were saying that your old friend and somebody that I started out in the National Football League admiring, George Young, had a great thing. I can remember Ernie, of course, and him having a conversation. And of course, he asked him, he said, do you watch Sunday night football, George? And he says, you know, by the time Sunday night comes around, I'm tired of football. I watch (laughs) Murder, She Wrote, you know? And so I think kind of like that's what you're saying about the American Football Alliance of whatever hell it is i mean but my thing i mean which drove me crazy is how can you have a plan for a league and not have the season committed like unbelievable i mean there's gonna have to be an investigation my 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 feeling is about this i think when charlie ebersol and bill polian started this charlie ebersol was quasi promised money by a bunch of silicon valley guys and these guys got a little weaselly at the end and they didn't give him the money that he thought he was going to have. And so, therefore, then he has to get in bed with Tom Dundon, who clearly is in this as an investment. He's not in this to throw $250 million down the drain. He's in it to invest this money in there and to expect to see some turnaround in this league pretty quickly. He never saw it. He blew the money. And he said, that's it. I'm not putting another dime into it. Yeah. But, Mike, here's the other thing that I thought was really crazy about the AAF. Why in the world do you have to have every bell and every whistle, and even more so than the NFL had? If you go to an International League baseball game in Scranton, Pennsylvania, they're the minor league team of the New York Yankees. Are there 50,000 people there? And do you have the beautiful scoreboard and the ribbon boards and and everything there in the organist? No, you, I mean, it's a minor league game. Right. And it's a minor league stadium. And, you know, you look at the AAF and they got the sky judge. They're paying, you know, for an extra official on every crew. You've got instant replay the same. You've got coach to quarterback communication. You've got all these things that you have in the NFL. Why? Why do you need all these things? Maybe when the league grows, you can end up putting these things in here. But I just thought it was preposterous. You know, some of you're trying to be NFL junior when what you should be is the Eastern League. Right. You're a startup and you're behaving like you're already in the league. And yeah. I, I, talking to coaches in the league, they were perplexed by, you know, they would come to a game and the, the front office of this league had people in it. And who was paying them? Like, where is this money come? Why do you need a big front office in the league yeah. office? I mean, Al Davis ran the AFL from, you know, here on Park Avenue. The only reason he got a Park Avenue office was to let the NFL owners know he was going to be a threat. That's why he got it. He got the smallest office on Park Avenue to basically <laughs> say, I'm coming after I you I never guys. knew that. Yeah, I'm coming after you guys, you know. How and much was he in that office, would you say? Uh, probably not very much. He probably stayed in his hotel suite probably somewhere and was – 
doing yeah. like he always did, maneuvering things. But he was about imagery. He wanted to let right. them know we're coming after your ass. This league, their imagery was we're a developmental league. Yeah. Well, you're right. Then go play in Durham, North Carolina. Go be the Bulls, you know, and go play in Arlington. Yeah. Don't play in a big stadium, you know. Right. It's yeah, ridiculous. Because if you play in a big stadium, you know, the one game I saw was Birmingham and Atlanta. They're playing at Turner Field where now Georgia State plays football, right. right? Okay, and Georgia State is trying to build a good football program. I don't know how many people they get. But all I saw that day when I watched the thing, it was a sea of empty seats. You're much better off playing at a nice high school stadium mm-hmm. or whatever while you get your feet on the ground so you don't have the expenses of a huge stadium. Plus, a huge stadium looks lousy if there's nobody sitting in it. Hard, it's, you want to turn it off immediately. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, I don't get the whole thing. I don't understand. It's like writing a 10-part series for Netflix and not finishing episodes six, seven, eight, nine. Like, at some point, yeah. when like didn't you have this all planned out? Right. Like, and you say some of these investors didn't have the, put the money in, but you got to figure, we're not going until we get exactly. the coin. Exactly, yeah. We're not yeah. going until we get the coin, and yeah. maybe the XFL will be different. I mean, that's just one of the many stories since the Super Bowl that have happened. But, you know, you've always asked me questions. You always end the conversation by, what's the one thing that surprised you? So what is the one thing, Peter, that has hit your phone when you've woken up or you've read it this offseason, since the Super Bowl ended till today, that you said, wow? Well, we would have to go back, really, to January and early February. Because remember when we started hearing about Kyler Murray? And the most amazing thing to me is that when I first heard, hey, the Cardinals really might take Kyler Murray. You know, because I talked to Cliff Kingsbury. I've talked to him one time in my life for about 15 minutes on the phone, maybe January 12th, 15th, somewhere in there. And I said, hey, what about this old quote that you said, Kyler Murray's got to be the first pick in the draft or whatever his quote was. I'd love to have that guy, and I forget exactly what it was. But he, he said that day, no, Josh Rosen's our guy. And I'm going to coach Josh Rosen, and he was all in on Josh Rosen, blah, blah, blah. And then word started leaking that Kyler Murray might go first overall. And I think that has been the most interesting story of the offseason, just because I think even at the end of the season, Mike, in the end of the college football season, I don't know too many people who, you know, on January 1st are saying, yep, Kyler Murray's going number one to somebody. Really, you know, that thing has been an express train rolling down the tracks. Yeah. You know, and now everybody looking at, and I I mean, I had a conversation with Lincoln Riley in February, and I basically said to him, this is after there's a lot of steam going for Kyler Murray going number one. And he told me three things in that conversation that sort of convinced me that not necessarily that he's the best player in this draft, but you easily could justify it. One, he had fewer passes batted down at the line of scrimmage than any of the prominent quarterbacks in this year's draft. Two, he's probably 5'10". And three, he threw the ball from the pocket on 89% of his pass attempts in 2018. And once I heard those things, I just said, I don't know how... I mean, if you want to take Dwayne Haskins... Or if you want to take Nick Bosa, you could. But I firmly believe now that 
will end up being the story of this offseason, the ascension of Kyler Murray. And it's interesting because Kime, Steve Kime, the general manager of the Cardinals, when he hired Cliff, it was not with the Kyler Murray idea. And I right. didn't really put a lot of credibility into this runaway train that was going on with Kyler Murray because you've covered the league as long as I've been in the league, and five, ten quarterbacks don't last. There's just no precedent right. there. Yeah. We can't find it. But what made me think there's more to the story that triggered my Columbo detective mind was I talked to people around the league that Kimes calling and asking specifically teams that have smaller quarterbacks, Seattle, for example, yeah. and asking them, what's it like to have an undersized quarterback there? Huh. And trying to gauge, can this actually work? Right. So he's trying to research with the end in mind. But to me, that gave me some credibility that maybe Cliff has shifted this to where he said, hey, fellas, look, I love Josh Rosen. I could probably make him a good player, but this guy's a great player. And this guy's a great player. This guy's a great player. That tends to wear on you. You know, like you sit there in a draft room and you think you're passing greatness. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, shoot, I better get on that. So that's why I think that story has just gotten legs. And I'm told – what, two weeks before the draft, three weeks before the draft, that he, they're going to pick him. Yeah. Everybody in the league feels that way. Everybody now, in the league does, now, yeah. Adam came out today and said that they've made no attempt to trade Josh Rosen, which I would suspect has to happen because once you make that one phone call, you know, I can remember uh, Leon Hess telling Art Modell, he said, once you tell one person you've told 11, you know, so once you make one phone call, you've told 11 teams. Yeah, here's why... I have this theory about Josh Rosen and about Kyler Murray and the Arizona pick. And here's my theory, that there's a reason why Steve Keim is not engaging. And I firmly believe that Adam is right. I don't necessarily think that nobody's calling him. So I think technically, if you say there have been discussions about Rosen, well, maybe there have been discussions, but I'm pretty sure they've been one way. Because, Mike, you understand the way this would work. The minute any single person found out, with the way that information guys are in the league, whether it be Ian Rappaport or Adam or Glazer or any of these guys, okay, here's what's going to happen. One person who knows one of those guys is going to say it. And then that will be all over everything. Right. So... You really can't do it if you're Steve Keim. There's two other factors at play. ABC now is going to do the draft live in primetime. ESPN is going to do the draft live, a different telecast from ABC, even though they're both owned by Disney. And NFL Network is doing this. So, you know, what makes a good primetime TV show? A little bit of suspense. Right. I would bet $1,000 that Michael Bidwill of the Cardinals, who runs the Cardinals, and Steve Keim and or Steve Keim have been told by the NFL, zip your lips because and tell your coach to shut up with his, it's a done deal, we're taking Kyler Murray. We need suspense. At 8 o'clock Eastern time on the night of the draft, we need suspense. So just shut up. Don't say anything. And then about if you're going to trade the guy, if you're going to trade Rosen, you know, I look at it this way, Mike. Let's say you're going to trade Rosen to Washington, okay, or you think that they would be interested, which I do. 
And if you're going to trade Rosen to Washington, Bruce Allen could have worked for the CIA. You know Bruce Allen. He's the Washington president, and he is a private guy. And I look at this, and I understand that if Steve Keim calls any interested party back, he'll call them back at maybe noon on the day of the draft and said, at 7.45 p.m., I want your best offer. We're going to choose one, and then we'll let you know if we're going to trade him. And I kind of think that's the way it's going to be. That's just my guess. I don't... I mean, I don't know so what do how you, you look at it. Well, I think if he makes any phone call, I think he's he, – first of all, the value of a draft pick, once it le- it's like a car. Once it leaves the showroom, the value goes way down. Right, yeah. So, and then with Rosen having 14 picks, 11 interceptions, look, Brian Leftwood's offense was atrocious last year. I, I can't really defend Rosen in the offense. They had no line. So there's somewhat – but you got goes back to the Rosen conversation coming out. Do you love him? Do you not? I think he's going to have a hard time recouping his value. Do I think it would be a smart play to just, if you want to take Kyler Murray, draft him, and then hold on to Rosen and say, look, I got two quarterbacks, and I'll play them both this summer, and whichever one, if Rosen looks good, I'll wait till someone gets hurt, and I'll get a better deal if I wait, which I think would be the smarter thing. The question I want to ask you, though, which is kind of like – been on my mind is the Oakland Raiders, John Gruden, who I think is behaving like, you know, like the fat guy that goes to the grocery store and says to the manager, you know, what do you have here? He says food and he just wants to load it all in his cart. To me, that's his free agency plan. Yeah. Just load everything in my cart, right? Why the hell is he working out Kyler Murray? I mean, this is interesting. When I was at the scouting combine a month or so ago, I had two people independent of each other tell me that I've been with Gruden and he really wants Kyler Murray. So all I can figure out is he's covering his bases, you know? And if he's covering his bases, he he absolutely does not want to admit he wants Kyler Murray. What he's doing is, I think, essentially, he's basically saying... Let's say that Steve Keim is not in love with Kyler Murray. And let's say I can trade him the fourth pick in the draft, the 27th pick in the draft, and maybe a two next year, let's just say, to move from four to one. And he probably would have to give a little bit more. But, but let's just say that that could have a little traction. I still think he would do it. I don't, as you know, as has developed, I think we both think the Cardinals – are just going to not listen to any offers, and they're going to take them. And the reason why I think Gruden can't be public at all in saying this is because he's got Carr to worry about. And he can't be seen as lusting after another quarterback because then Carr gets all ticked off. And so he's got to... He's got don't to make it Carr's, seem like... Don't you think Carr's ticked off when he reads that? That he's Ma- working out quarterbacks? That with Mayock alone? Yes. The two of them? I mean... I'm sure he is. He's got to be. I mean, I'm look, sure he is. I think your your two sources are absolutely correct. I think yeah. John's in love with what he doesn't have. Yeah. I think if you just look at John shopping this free agency, he's in love. I mean, love Jordy Nelson. Go back and read the quote on Jordy Nelson last year, and then he cuts him and he owes him $3 million. I mean, if there's one player that Mayock hated beyond hate... I mean, I'm not talking just was Vontez Burfick coming out in the draft. Mm-hmm. And when they signed Burfick, then for me, that was like, okay, I get this now. 
It's yeah. John just doing whatever John wants to do. And John has this appetite for, I just want what somebody else doesn't have. Yeah. Now, I'll say there's no record, and you've talked to a zillion people, there's no record that John has ever developed a young quarterback in the history of his coaching career. Right. So for him to take Murray, you know, it's funny. Cliff- when you talk to Chris Sims about this, it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. He said, man, you know, he fell out of love with me fast. He falls in love with every – I would predict – look, I've, if you say I could be a CIA expert for John because I think I know John. In fact, I know John so well that when he left us in Oakland and he went to Tampa, I called the people in Tampa and said, here's what's going to happen. And I gave them the whole routine. And six months later, the guy, he was out of work, called me back and said, you nailed it. John has not changed. John loves the player that he doesn't have. Yeah. When I was with him in Philly – Green Bay had all the talent. We had nobody. Then when I was with him in Oakland, you know, Philly, we had a ton of talent, and this this a bunch of crap here I'm playing with. And he uses that to motivate himself. But now that he has no one restricting him from himself, because even though Mayock's the general manager, he's not restricting them. They're, right. I mean, they just signed another receiver. So my point is, if he wants Murray, he'll liable to load up because he signed all these players and he's got all these draft picks. What's he going to do with them? He has more job security than Bill Belichick. He's got eight more years left, and he's building a team as if he has to win next week. Yeah, he's behaving like he's got to win, and so it's fascinating. And then this: How do you lo- think? How do you think John Gruden and Antonio Brown will do? Oh, I think it'll be really good in the first couple OTAs, but once he doesn't run the right route, or once they lose a game, oh man, this guy! You know, look, there could be a line from here to Penn Station of the players that know John really well. And know what John's like. John, you know, is always about the next player. You don't just have to limit it to Christopher Sims. Yeah. You know, and so when they took John in in Oakland and they gave him the store to do the shopping, to get the groceries and to cook the meal, this is what they bought themselves into. Can he do it? Can he build a team? If a team's filled with receivers, I'm sure he can. If a team's not, you know, well, they gave Trent Brown all that money. Well, yeah, Trent Brown, I mean, the Patriots were never going to pay Trent Brown that kind of money. I mean, Trent Brown's a guy that has historically never has under, he's had one great season with Dante Skarnecki. Now, if Skarnecki's yeah. coming with Trent Brown, I'd yeah. say, sure, that's a hell of a deal. Maybe Skarnecki should have gotten the contract. <laughs> I think he should have. <laughs> I think he should have. So, I, and the Kyler Murray thing to me, you know, you just sat there and said, they're going to have to give up this, this, and this. And then we started this dialogue with, he went from nowhere to be the first pick. It's just remarkable how everything has changed. And yet, no one can say, there's a precedent for a 5'10 quarterback. Well, the only one close would be Russell Wilson. And, you know, he, even he is, what, an inch taller or something like that? And, but look, I don't, I really wonder right now how the offense really will work because, you know, it, it was funny. Somebody at the combine, a coach at the combine said, you know, I understand what you're saying about not having passes batted down and thrown from the pocket. He said, but understand, in college football, the spacing is much wider right. on the offensive line than it is in pro football. So in the NFL, you can say that, hey, the lineman being five and six inches taller than him doesn't matter, but it matters more than it does in college because the spaces between the linemen are narrower. And so therefore you don't have the vision of having this double-wide space in between your linemen that you can look through. So, But, I mean, we'll see. 
I still think he's got a heck of a chance to be good. I think that coach is really prolific. I think the hash marks in college football yeah. make it a different game. I think when you say he's a drop-back passer, the pass rush is way different. I think if you go back and watch the three playoff games, New England against Los Angeles, New England against Kansas City, and then New England against the Rams, the way they rushed all those three quarterbacks, if Murray can handle that kind of pressure from the inside, then he'll prove it. But at some point, it's going to be third and eight in a game that you've got to win. And he's got to be able to stand back there and throw it through a bunch of arms and hands and big people and can't move around the pocket. The early part of the Alabama game, that wasn't good for him. But when Alabama got tired and he could move around, just like Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's great plays are outside. Same with Baker Mayfield. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting on how well the Cardinals look. If the Cardinals' offensive line is as bad as it's been, it probably will help Murray. Because when the Seahawks couldn't block anybody, it helps Russell because then he just starts running around and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash GM Shuffle. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash GM Shuffle. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash GM Shuffle. ZipRecruiter.com slash G-M-S-H-U-F-F-L-E dot com. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. But so much has happened. We haven't even, you know, we've been doing this for 23 minutes, and we haven't even talked about the greatest trade of all and the Odell Beckham deal. I mean, yeah. what was your reaction when you saw that? Yeah, there was too much smoke around it to think that at some point it wasn't going to happen. And the more I looked into it, Mike, the more I found out this to be the real truth. The Giants could have kept him and thought, that it was probably even better than 50-50 that they would keep him. And it's amazing to me because of how he's played in the NFL, but Jabril Peppers' availability made this trade happen, which I find bizarre. But I also would say this. I don't think it's terrible that the Giants traded him. I probably wouldn't have traded him if I were the Giants because they. I don't think they got value for him. But... Having said that, I think Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman walked into the office the day after they made that trade whistling a happy tune. Yeah. Because Odell is a hard guy to be around. He just is. It's like Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. He got to be a very hard guy to be around. So therefore, even though you don't want to trade him, you realize sometimes that you should trade him. I mean, when Randy Moss went from the Raiders to the Patriots in 2007, I said, this will be the classic case of a guy, you'll look back on it and you'll say, oh my God, the Patriots only traded a four for Randy Moss. They'll get incredible value because Randy Moss was determined 
to show everybody he still could do it. He was excited about being with Brady and Belichick. And then he goes and has one of the best seasons a wide receiver mm-hmm. has, ever has. I could see Odell Beckham doing the exact same thing in Cleveland, but I just don't know how long it can last for him. Right. He's not a particularly happy person. He really brought a lot of people in the Giants down. Even though everybody said, ah, the locker room liked him. I, I guess so. But he wasn't a particularly happy person, and I think at some point eventually his act will wear thin on Dorsey and Kitchens, however long Freddie Kitchens lasts. I think it's a challenge for Freddie. I think you're right. No question. I think it's a tough challenge for Freddie. He walks into a a difficult situation, the place that really doesn't have a culture, and he's trying to establish a culture. And part of trying to establish a culture is with this guy, who's the first thing he's probably going to do when he's at the first home game. He's going to say, Coach, man, I don't need to stay in the hotel room. I'm going to go home. How are you going to handle that situation? You know, I think the Giants, when he made that one-handed catch, the Giants' reaction to that one-handed catch was they put that picture next to their Super Bowl trophies. That's in their offices. That's how much they thought of that catch. And for this to go down this road, it just got to the point of, I agree. What makes it hard for me to understand is I'm not a Jabril Peppers fan. I thought Jabril Peppers' best position is running back. Hmm. And if you ask any of the Greg Williams staff when they had him, they played him as far as part of the field as they could. They couldn't utilize him in pass coverage. He's an in-the-box player. And if you go back to Michigan and watch him, Michigan blitzed him or they basically took away most response. They didn't really want him part of any pass coverage. So whether Michigan's wrong, Cleveland's wrong, and Dave Gettleman's right, it's going to be interesting to see as that evolves. You know, Mike, I when I was at the league meetings recently, the one interesting thing about the league meetings and the one interesting thing that I heard is that what was so noticeable, there's a lot of people in the NFL who think that Dave Gettleman is not doing a good job, you know, building this team. And he continues to say Eli is a really good player. And I, I don't really get that. I don't I, really get that. I don't, I don't know why you would watch the New York Giants play over the last few years and say Eli Manning shouldn't be replaced. And it has nothing to do with the fact he can play some good games. But A, he's not your future. B, you pick a quarterback over the last six years. It's either he or Joe Flacco has been the worst quarterback in football. Why do you continue to try to fit a square peg into a round hole? Why don't you bite the bullet right now, rip the Band-Aid off, go get one of these young quarterbacks and just start the process of the next era? Do you think the reason he has the job is because he's saying that? I mean, really, when you think about it. I don't think, but I, Mike, I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I don't think John Mara is bang is Khrushchev like banging his shoe on the table saying it's Eli or bust. I, I don't think he or Steve Tisch, I don't think those guys are doing that. I think that they want Dave Gettleman to build a really solid franchise. And the way I look at it is I, I think that Gettleman believes for some reason that Eli is still a really good player. I don't get it. I, I would think that if Pat Shermer really disagreed with him. He'd fight him on it, but Shermer keeps saying it. How can you say right now, how can you even introduce the fact, hey, we like Eli, we may like him into 2020. How do you even introduce that fact? I just, the object of the game is to build a championship team. 
And I do not understand how you think you can build a championship team continuing to trot Eli Manning out yeah. there. Yeah, well, I think there's some internal problems in New York. I think, you know, when you go back and look from an organizational standpoint, I think they're stuck in time. I really do. Yeah. I think they're stuck in time. I think Gettleman came in because he'll keep them stuck in time because he that's what they really want. They're comfortable with what they've been doing. You know, and I think that when you go back and when they pick Davis Webb, very few people realize is they like Davis Webb higher than a lot of quarterbacks in that draft, including Patrick Mahomes. Now, that doesn't sound – I'm sure people will say that's not true, but that's fact. I mean, they had they love Davis Webb, and they thought that could have been their answer. And there's a lot of conflict within – there's a lot of people – you know, Chris Marrow, who's a longtime scout, personnel guy, worked his way up. I've been on the road with Chris. Chris is a good football guy. He's got a voice. Gettleman has a voice. Kevin Abrams – there's a lot of voices. And – you know, this is the NFL's not really the Dave Clark Five. It's a paramilitary organization. You need one voice, and yeah. it's not going to be the coach. And the general manager has to be the person. They're, they're a little old school in that sense, that they want the GM to bring the players in, the coach to coach the players. And I'm not sure that works in today's game. I think the coach has to be tied to the GM, not the GM just gives you the players. I think that's a problem. And I think there's, as long as they're stuck there – They'll keep having this problem, and whether Dave can get them out of it or not, I don't know. I think what they should do is what they did when they hired George Young, go back and try to find somebody who can kind of give them some vibrancy to their organization. The one thing that, looking back on what the Giants have done, in the last two drafts, right, they've spent a third and a fourth round pick on quarterbacks who – Mike, almost by mid-season of each year, the team had no interest in either one. Right. You know, Davis Webb in 2017, Kyle Lawletta in 2018. I will be surprised if Kyle Lawletta breaks camp with the New York Giants I'd be shocked. Yeah. And so you just wonder. So they haven't found the guy yet. That's why I think, look, it's either Josh Rosen or one of these, like Daniel Jones or Drew Locke or one of these guys, I think, in this draft. But I keep hearing that they're not just saying this. They really might not take a quarterback at six. I think it's true. I think it's a lock. I think they're going to go with a defensive player. I think they've created so many ifs that they actually believe that Eli can do it. And I think that part of the biggest problem – is when you can't evaluate your own team correctly, how can you evaluate somebody else's or some other player? Yeah. And so you can't fix your problems. I mean, I think it happens all over. I, I think the expectations in Cleveland is going to be something to be interesting to see because now everybody has given Cleveland, you know, based on this free agency program, they've given them the kind of like, okay, there's where we are. Meanwhile, the Patriots haven't really done much this free agency. Losing Gronkowski certainly hurts. So there's a lot of that going on. And you have to kind of keep yourself out of it and remind yourself there's still a long way to go in this adding talent to your team period. Yeah. I think the one last thing I would say about this offseason period, the one other team that really is interesting to me is the Baltimore Ravens. They've changed general managers. And not only changing general managers, but they had sort of kind of a defensive revolution. The guy who they thought would retire a Raven, Terrell Suggs, goes to Arizona. And then they lose C.J. Mosley and Zadarius Smith, and they cut Eric Weddle. They've made a huge amount of changes on their defense. And that's why, like, if I do a mock draft, I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm probably going to take the best sideline-to-sideline linebacker that I can find 
wherever they're picking because I think they're really going to miss C.J. Mosley. I think they're going to miss Suggs. I think they're going to miss all those guys. And I think they've put their defense at a place, especially considering when your quarterback has to play from in front. Yeah. You know, and so you've got to be able to get off the field. And that's what Don Martindale's unit could do last year. He could get, they could get off the field. They played really good. And now you've got a quarterback who typically needs to play from in front. And if he gets behind in a game because they can't really rush or they can't cover, Mosley, I think they miscalculated Mosley's market. I think they miscalculated Suggs' market because to lose Suggs for $7 million, I mean, you got to figure that he wasn't coming back for the minimum, right? See, but I think – I'll tell you what I think happened with Suggs. I think Suggs decided that he wanted to go home and play his last year in Arizona because he lives in Phoenix. And I think this was not a I don't like the Ravens. He'll retire in the ring of honor, whatever that thing is. But I think he felt like – I want to go home and play at home for one year, and then that's it. Now, I might be wrong, but that's some. I heard that from somebody close to him, that it wasn't a repudiation of the Ravens. It was more of a personal choice and a family choice. But anyway, we'll see. Well, thank you, Peter. This has been a great conversation. Please tell us where else we can hear the wisdom of Peter King. <laughs> you can hear the wisdom of Peter King nowhere because there is no wisdom. But you can hear me going off on tangents for an hour at a time every week. You can hear me at the Peter King Podcast uh, right here on Cadence 13. And what's really, really good about it is we're actually going to do a home-and-home podcast this week, Mike. So on my next podcast, I will be joined by the immortal Mike Lombardi. Thank you, Peter. It was great to have you. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate all your listening. If anyone has any questions, would love to hear from you. The GM Shuffle at gmail.com is the best email address. You know you can get us on all your favorite platforms, iTunes, radio.com, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please come back next week. I'll introduce my new co-host, and we'll be back to talk about the NFL draft, the NFL offseason, and everything that happens around the NFL. <laughs>